Hello, everybody, and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 64 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. a protracted period in well-publicised development hell, Max Payne developer Remedies, David Lynch, Stephen King, Rod Serling, Homage, Alan Wake was eventually released on Xbox 360 in May 2010 and almost two years later on PC. Joining me this issue, we have the return of Jay Taylor. Hello. We've dusted him off just for the occasion. How are you doing? Um, all right, yeah. Cool. And also another northern chap, very northern, snowing, Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And uh, how are you, Carl? Absolutely freezing. Good. And uh, my name's Leon Cox, and uh, we did advertise the long-awaited, vaunted return of Tony Atkins, but sadly he's had to drop out of this one, as he is still ill in. Um, with a really nasty, what sounds like a really nasty viral infection that he's been struggling to shake. But he has taken the time out to provide his uh, summary of his feelings uh, about Alan Wake. So we will hear from him. Um, Sorry, that's in text form. So you'll hear from him through my voice later on. But it's better than nothing. And Tony will, we hope, be back in two weeks' time to host the Walking Dead show as I take a week off. Now, our histories with Alan Wake. Um, Jay? I was aware of this right from the moment that screenshots started to appear in Edge magazine. 2005-ish? Yeah, yeah. give or take. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would appear every six months, or between six and nine months, there'd be a screenshot uh, of, as it turns out, something that isn't even in the game but anymore. Right. But um yeah. You know, it was always kind of, it was always there. It was always like, well, oh, you know, this look, it did look cool. Um, you know, there was, uh, as you can find on Google nowadays, are the pictures of uh, Alan Wake wearing his Tom Baker-esque scarf, yeah. standing in a, a deserted street and stuff like that. And it, it didn't really give you any sense of what the hell it was about, but it just, it did look good. So it was always on the radar from that point, really, just based on its visuals. And when did you finally play it? Um, when I borrowed it off of you. Um, when, when was that? That was probably <laughs> the beginning of last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, did I still have it then? Um, yeah. So I 
my history with the game, may as well do mine then, is uh, I didn't buy it on launch day, um, but uh, I was back on the Gamerdork podcast with Neil at the time and he kindly um, did a big shout out for my birthday and raised a load of money through PayPal for me. Um, and I spent it on a limited edition copy of Alan Wake with the uh, book and the soundtrack and all that sort of thing. Um, so I played it through in about June or July of 2010, a few months after it came out. Then I lent it to you and then... At some point, I put it on eBay because that's the kind of callous bastard I am. Uh, but I didn't feel like it was a game that I was going to replay any time. Of course, that means that I haven't replayed it for this show, so it has been uh, two and a half years since I've played it. But thankfully, Carl's history with the game is a little more full on. It is. Um, my, mine's somewhat similar to Jay. Obviously, it came from the original E3 2005 announcement, the edge screenshots but it was the intel developer forum in september 2006 where they finally showed the video of the the you know legendary tech demo at the time mm. running on the intel processor that you know you needed the core 2 quad that was coming out and it showed you the amazing effects that it was going in um <laughs> at the time i'd just sort of invested in a very expensive pc i was at university i was doing my 3d graphics course um and this was pretty much Super exciting for me. Also, coming off the back of the Max Payne games by Remedy, it it was something that I really needed. Um, as the you know, it was quite a protracted release. Uh, by the time it did come out in two thousand and ten, I'd moved away from PC into console, so I ended up picking it up on Xbox, which is, you know, makes me somewhat of a heathen from what I was. But well, it had uh, become a console but, exclusive at by at this it, point, it, and it, it had, remained so for two years. Um and. You know, and I, I was one of those that rather than sort of not purchase it out of frustration and, uh, you know, agony as many did, I went and bought it day one and played it over that weekend and completed it by the Sunday. And you've since played through it more times and have you got all the achievements? I've got all the achievements. I uh, completed it a further two times since. I'd actually done another run since after getting all the achievements, which is, you know, quite rare for me. Cool. Uh, so, yes, as discussed, this was announced in 2005 and came out five years later, which even for modern video games is a, is a long time. Um, is it fair to, it, is, is it just lazy of me to use the term development hell? Or is that accurate? Do we know? Um, it was vaunted as a PC and next gen console title, that next gen being Xbox 360 at that point. Uh, and it appeared to be uh, an open-world horror game. But apparently the, the open-world side of things only lasted six months or so into development um, before they realised that they couldn't tell the, the sort of tense, dramatic thriller of a story that they wanted to in, in an open world. Well, I'd suggest there were possibly some games that maybe uh, the likes of Stalker, Shadow of Pripyat prove that you can make a very scary sort of fairly free roaming game but um they obviously decided that they couldn't with the story they were trying to tell so um do you do you chaps remember tales of development hell or was it just well, protractedness? It's, it's safe to say that there was definitely it was a trouble production there's no i mean any game that goes under a five-year um thing as as we've seen often um is down to sort of problems somewhere along the line you know that it's it's not a smooth um development mm. 
Simple as that. So, I mean, to say it's development hell, I guess there were different varying degrees of hell, yeah. but, you know, it's just... Um, it wasn't a smooth ride, well, probably. No, not at all. I can't imagine I mean, it was. there will have been financial difficulty um, because it was obviously quite bold what they were trying. When As, as soon as you start pushing the PC market like that, that is money. Um, Remedy are also a very famously small studio. Mm. Um, I believe they said on a documentary surrounding the, the make of uh, Alan Wake that it grew to the size of 40 which is quite laughable when you consider the size of other yeah. studios. I mean, I'm sure everyone's completed an Ubisoft game recently and had the 25-minute end credits. Mm. So gives you an idea of just how small and you know that studio up is up in Finland. So Well, that's probably where exclusivity came into it. I mean, if it is a question of money, then that's probably where Microsoft and the Xbox sort of garnered their um, exclusivity deal out of it would be simply by you know offering funds. Well, Microsoft at the time were chasing uh, very technically able studios. They they went after Remedy and they actually managed to secure them to a deal. They also went after Crytek. Unfortunately, they, at the time for them, they were unable to to you know garner a deal. Which I believe now relations between the two companies are actually a lot better. But at the at the time, they did try and sign up uh, Crytek as an exclusive mm. studio. So it was announced that the game would be an Xbox 360 exclusive uh, in 2009, although um, I guess, I don't know whether they said at that point, but that's only for two years or whatever, or whether the deal just changed, I don't know. But eventually it did come out, as I said, uh, on PC in uh, February, March 2012. So not even a year ago has this been out on home computer. I guess you've been able to buy it uh, very cheap in Steam sales at various on various occasions since then, so not a difficult game to get hold of. It's on on demand. You can buy it cheap, uh, secondhand stores and so on. Um, one of the interesting things, obviously, this will come into focus more as we get to the critical part of the podcast and and particularly the listener feedback. Is there's a real sense around this game that it is not well liked? Um, actually, it did pretty well in reviews i think you know it's it's uh, review aggregator scores are in the mid 80s um it got various sort of nine out of tens in in some places and actually commercially it's ended up doing okay with over two million sold as of um the pc version coming out last march 2012 um and in fact the pc version apparently got back it's all the the budget they'd spent on development and marketing of that version within two days so um hence the franchise continues to exist obviously there's been an xbla um and steam or downloadable sequel since then we'll talk a little about that although we'll say it now none of us have played it uh also your obligatory spoiler warning i don't know how far we'll get into the plot and the end but the fact that we're going to probably talk about the two DLC episodes means that we kind of have to spoil the end of the story, even if we don't talk about every element of the story, because the DLC is, it's one of those we've seen more recently in uh, Asura's Wrath, where it kind of tells the end of the story controversially. So I remember um, my friend Chris, who I guess if you had to pigeonhole him, you would call him more of a casual gamer. He doesn't listen to this podcast, for instance, but he, uh, he bought an Xbox 360 before me and played games on it of an evening. Um, he was excited about Alan Wake from when he bought his Xbox 360 in, uh, two I guess, early 2006 or something like that. Um, so I was kind of aware of it. I, I'd seen the, the videos and stuff, um, but I, I wasn't you know, particularly hyped up for it. And of course, I hadn't played the Max Payne games. Uh, as regular listeners will know, I hadn't played those until recently. So 
Um, this was developed off the back of Max Payne 2, which, uh, as we found out recently, I quite liked, but I absolutely hated Max Payne 1. So I, I don't it, it, I don't really know what my anticipation for this game would have been um, if I'd played those at the time. But uh, when I did finally boot it up in 2010, I found it's a pretty darn good-looking game still, even though it, was, it had been in the works for five years. Um, I think the environments and the lighting in particular stood up well. Um, I think the, the, the visuals were... The thing that kept me playing it, to be honest, yeah. um, you know, particularly, I mean, obviously, lighting is fundamental to the very game itself. Yeah. Uh, I guess they had to make sure that that stuff worked, and but worked, work it does, and work very well. Yeah, strong memories of of uh, letting off flares, red flares, using mm. the the torch and the the almost the lens flare of the torch to which acts as a kind of reticule in the combat. Carl, you're the uh, you're the artist here, although you know it doesn't necessarily imbue you with any taste from a technical <laughs> point of view. Um, were you impressed by it as a three D artist, as somebody who'd been looking forward to this game for years, as a fan of Reverdy's work? I think the the thing that usually gets me interested in games is isn't necessarily the you know the the clarity of the visuals, but more the believability of the world. Um, it's something that you know games that I would class as having exceptional environments in, such as you know Arkham Asylum and the like. They have environments that you believe you're in, and Bright Falls, the environment it's set in, um, even throughout its woods, never loses that sense of believability of a real place. Um, so from that perspective, I always found it a, a, an incredibly interesting world to be in. Um, you know, combined that with combined that with the light that uh, that Jay mentioned. Um, you know, it built itself on you know light versus dark. Um, it certainly had an appeal of its own um, that you know games like Silent Hill or the early Resident Evils before it lost any form of identity at Resident Evil Five um, that you could look at a screenshot or a video and immediately know that that is Alan Wake. And that is the biggest compliment that you, that you could actually give that art team. Hmm. Um, yeah. Also, I should say, Carl's not the only artist here. He's the only uh, graphical 3D artist we've got on the squad. I didn't mean to down Jay's uh, artistic abilities any. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously we've seen this sort of setting in other games and films and uh, fiction. Um, it is the, the idyllic uh, country American town. Um, we'll get into the plot. But uh, so you're looking at a lot of um, isolated uh, little enclaves of civilization surrounded by large areas of woods, wooded areas and trees. Um, and I suppose you could say that because um, the environments remain the same pretty much throughout the game, log cabins and the odd building and so on, that they didn't have to produce like a crazy amount of different styles of asset. You know, there's a lot of trees, there's a lot of woods. There is a level of consistency which isn't necessarily easy to, to maintain throughout. Sure. Through a, certainly a project that went on so long, but we, we know it was based on the American Pacific Northwest and... Um, it's obviously a very beautiful place in in real life, uh, so it was almost a perfect example of a place to, you know, uh, to build a game. Um, it does it in a world where it's, you know, there's hills and there's not everything sort of flat and and plain like we would see in say the you know to reference Silent Hill again, Silent Hill one and two were very sort mm. of, you know, level 
sort of playing fields to be largely in. Largely flat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so from that that you know point of view, they, they did a terrific job there. Yeah, and again, this is a, a Finnish studio. Obviously, I'm sure they had plenty of trips in their five years to uh, to the places and, and and a look at a lot of image catalogs and so on. But they are building a world that's based, you know, not not where they are. Although, you know, Finland almost certainly has beautiful woods, but they probably feature very different trees and, and environs. I don't know. I've never been to Finland. Anyone? Sadly, no. I would love to go. Now, uh, the soundtrack, I don't remember too much about the incidental music by Petri Alanko. Um, is that is that simply that time has passed uh, or was it fairly standard generic stuff? I would say it was pretty generic. I mean, it was obvious as, as the game, it's safe to say that the game kind of wears its, its influences on its sleeve perhaps a little too much mm-hmm. at times. Yeah, in all uh, the soundtrack being one of them. It certainly takes like a back seat, doesn't it? The 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 actual score of the game compared to mm. the, the towards the music in the game is uh you know it sort of yeah. it plays the old one two, you know to emphasise yeah. the, the major tracks. The only thing is the the, the thing is yeah now uh, this game features and hopefully this podcast will too some uh, some really well known artists such as Roy Orbison, Nick Cave. In the Bad Seas, David Bowie, Depeche Mode, Poets of the Fall, who also double up as uh, Alan Wake's fictional band, the old gods of Asgard, who uh, are part of the plot at one point. They're the sort of the equivalent to Left 4 Dead's Midnight Riders, um, although I suppose they may have come into existence before the Midnight Riders in development terms. Um, but these songs are generally, apart from there's a kind of uh, Left 4 Dead 2-esque uh, rock concert sequence, isn't there? Um, they're generally used at the end of episodes. The game is divided up into TV series style uh, episodes with a, uh, with a next time on um, and bordered with a previously on. Um, and I was thinking, I know that a lot of people, uh, including Carl, were really taken with Max Payne 3's use of a song in a moment of action uh, obviously, Max Payne 3 was not Remedy, although the previous two games were. Um, and it almost felt like, although they, I thought I thought they were used well and they were good choices of music, um, just sticking them on the end credits of chapters felt almost like they were underselling. I wonder, you know, how much of the budget did they spend on licensing people like David Bowie and Depeche Mode? Probably quite a substantial chunk of it, I would have thought. Yeah, uh, I know that even for Hollywood films, it can be a problem getting to use uh, certain musical tracks. Mm. Um, I wonder if it was always part of the plan to have such sort of famous, renowned artists. Those are the big, the big four that I name-checked are perhaps the biggest and most famous. Um, obviously, Roy Orbison's no longer with us, but um, I imagine his estate still <laughs> requests yeah. um, license money. Um, so, yeah, I, I do wonder, were, were they in the game from the start or did they think, was it once the Microsoft money came on board that they could think, well, you know what, we could, we could put some <laughs> actual famous songs on, the, on this game? It's such a strange one because the, the music tracks don't necessarily fit in with the game, but they're really... There is a high level of impact at the end of each chapter when they play that you you can't help but notice them. And I remember, I think, at the end of episode three in particular, which, uh, if I remember correctly, that is the old Gods of Asgard uh, track, Mm. that I remember Twitter sort of lighting up as people were playing the thing, saying, oh, the music at the end of the the episodes. And 
it, in that sense, it worked. Did it really need them? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, mm. You know, was it were they supposed to take the place of like an intro TV theme that you know obviously it goes in that episodic sort of mode that if anyone who's played Deadly Premonition would know exactly what it's trying to do. Um, I don't really know what they were trying. I just know that I kind of liked it. I was the opposite. I didn't like the uh, segmented sort of episodic element to it. If it was an episodic game, it would have made sense, but it wasn't. Mm. So I just thought, well, this is kind of redundant. But like, what are you... I mean, this is what I was, in general, confused about the game. It was obviously influenced by TV shows, the likes of Twin Peaks and stuff. I mean, there's musical references, like, fuck on the soundtrack as well. But the... You've also, the guy's an author and he's, you know, I guess they're saying, oh, well, you know, books are in chapters, but it's not so bloody obvious as like a TV show sort of set up. And it was just something that I, I it grated after a while. I just kind of wish they would just get on with it. There is, there is of course, the counter argument that I hear many people say that the, the play a game, when they come back to it, they almost forget certain elements of what have ha- what's happened. And it, it does sort of fill that market where... You know, you have go you, back you, to it well, and have it you covers. ever had that happen? Because I've always been, if a game's good enough, it, it sucks me in and I want to keep going until I see the end. But Yeah, it, there are there are people who can't just go and play games with like loads of free time. They, they might get, you know, a period of a couple of hour mm. sessions a week. Um, so being able to sort of recap earlier moments in the story is ideal for them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, quite, yeah. I'm quite keen on, on the recapping in games idea. Whether, I don't think, like doing the TV show thing uh, is the only way to do it, but it is a way of doing it. And um, yeah, if you were playing, say if you were, you know, the kind of person who's maybe a busy parent who's playing a chapter of Alan Wake a night after they put the kids to bed, then it, mm. I, I can see it makes sense. But I suppose you could say that that is a specific audience. Um, I don't think that's why they did it. I think they did it more for stylistic reasons because this game obviously borrows from all sorts of different influences like you say david lynch and uh misery and the shining and twilight zone and and pretty and much anything and you could think of as well any sort yeah, of culture I mean, those are the big ones sort of. yeah it's it's pretty free and easy with with all that stuff um misery is obviously another um well, I think Stephen King in general, because, I mean, a lot of his books are based in the same kind of... Yeah. They're always he, based in Maine, and it's always that kind of He's referenced in the first line of the game, isn't he? Yeah. In the first line exactly, of narration. Exactly, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not shy about it, um, mm. but it's, it's whether, whether, one, whether the player appreciates that tack of just... Obviously, you know, the writers, uh, Sam Lake, who I believe wrote most of the Max Payne stuff, and uh, Miko Rautalati. If apologies to Finnish listeners. I do believe we actually have some based on our Facebook likes. So apologies for my terrible pronunciation. Um, they were obviously uh, keen to revel in their love of that genre, you know, th- TV mm. and movie thr- psychological thriller fiction. The problem I suppose I have with it is that um, I, I think it falls short of all its influences and that's always a problem. If you're paying homage to stuff, um, it can it can make you look a little wanting if, if you come up short of everything that you're actually trying to, all the touchstones you're trying to reach. I think that's a, a, you know, an accurate point. I think it's also something that could be levelled at the Max Payne games. It's perhaps Sam Lake so, as a writer me. Uh, yeah. doesn't quite meet the levels that 
maybe he thinks he does. Um, yeah, that's know. the impression I get, if uh, I'm honest. And the, there is an almost irony in Alan Wake that his character that he writes, Alex, uh, I can't even remember the, 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 his character in his series of books. Yeah, um, he's sort of cipher, yeah. He is essentially Max Payne, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's almost referenced that he wants to, he kills off that character because he wants to focus on other projects because that kind of character is too easy to write. Yeah. And he wants to challenge himself. And, you know, when you think that in, if you fall short on Max Payne, you really probably shouldn't be sort of mocking that and saying, you know, that was easy to write, so we've done this. Yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. And of course, that is basically the plot to misery as well. So. Yeah, ab- uh. absolutely the plot to misery. And, you know, and this is absolutely, I, I, I hold Stephen King in, in high regard. I think, you know, people dismiss him as, as, pulp incorrectly because i think one day he will be sort of regarded in the same way as charles dickens is now as a great modern storyteller um who just happens to be extremely popular but again sort of it's not like they're lampooning it it's 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 definitely with affection that they're looking at twin peaks and stephen king and twilight zone but like the the quite probably famous the fmv stuff the tv show uh which is called remind me Night Springs. Night Springs. Yeah. Well, um, am I wrong? Because now there was something pre-release, wasn't there? There was um, that was external from the stuff you see in the game. There was a live-action sort of um, episodic. See, I say series. It was like four or five episodes. Like web stuff. That they released. Or, yeah, yeah. They, they like episodes, if you will. But oh the, yeah, they um, were like Twilight oh, Zone yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the deer and stuff. The, the episodes are called. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah it's still uh, on... that stuff was actually quite interesting mm. because they used the um, some of some of the models for the in-game models. So some of the actors. Yeah. Um, and so it, it that I thought that stuff would actually work really well, even though it was you know. It was a little cheap and Riffing. cheesy, but liked some of the use of FMV in the game. It actually, it worked to unsettle. So you would actually have mm. scenes where you're controlling the traditional polygon model of Alan Wake while he's watching a TV show with FMV of the character with mm. with the actor that he's modeled on on the TV, which is it's quite, you know, it's, it's something you don't see. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's striking and that it was a bit different to what other people might do, just, you know, having the model, you know, the same polygon model on the TV, mm. they actually went for something that's a little different. And of course they are used to sort of explain his, his backstory. And in some sections, they explain his backstory. In other, in other sections, it's, you know, it uses the, the bright falls. Like you see him in his TV interviews, mm. um, which, which obviously you, you sort of get a feel for his persona outside of the one that you see directly as you play. Um, because because the the story is ultimately built on the character that he is, mm. and it's also probably the, the most, you know, the the area where people either love or hate the game most is tends to be built on the actual avatar of Alan Wake. Yeah. So uh, Alan Wake, as we've discussed, is a best selling novelist. Um, his physical looks are modelled on a guy called Ilka Vili, who's Finnish. Uh, and he is voiced by an American actor, I think, called Matthew Peretta. Um, but he is perhaps, yeah, one of the most um, disliked 
main characters in modern gaming. Um, it's, you know, we'll, we'll hear we'll hear this in our three word reviews later. Uh, and even Remedy themselves described him as a bit of a dick or something along those lines. Well, it's exactly that. They actually yeah. described him as exactly that. Interesting choice to make your protagonist uh, a dislikable character, uh, and perhaps. It's interesting. It, it's 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 impossible to know whether because there is a real sense that a lot of people took against this game, um, and there's a, and that's been kind of cemented by uh, the three word reviews we've received. Obviously, the the longer critique we've had has been from people who have been more positive about the game. I guess the people who are more negative weren't so moved. But it's it's hard it's hard to know. What I'm trying to say is that. Do people not like the game because they really didn't like playing as Alan Wake, or is it just that the game falls short in multiple areas and therefore they don't like the game? I, I, I think there's certainly a mix of both. Um, you know, in in terms of the game's mechanics, there was maybe only one area where people would pull up, and that was dodge and run being on the same button. That's at least what I remember at the time. But I think ultimately it was a brave but probably stupid move from Remedy to make their character a character you're not actually supposed to like. Now, mm. it's not unheard of in television or movies no. for the, the main character to be dislikable um, as a game where you're with that character for 8 to 15 hours of a story. Yeah. It's maybe not so easy to swallow. Um, not th- unless he's exceptionally well-written, which... Well, yes. that, that's mm. probably key to it, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, if it, it would have been interesting to have a character that starts off where nobody likes him, but he is a dick. But then to sort of over that time, you, you, you know, for the writing to come through, for the character to come through, and by the end of the game, you totally change your opinion on it. That then leaves far greater impression. I mean, it, you know, the TV series like Game of Thrones does this with almost every character. Yeah. Like you start off watching this this series with, a, and you think, "I want to see these characters dead <laughs> by the next episode," and then like four or five episodes down the line, you're thinking, "Actually, you start seeing sides to them," you know, where you think, "Okay," is you know, and you realise, and that's what kind of sucks you into it. And so, had they done that with this guy, it could have been amazing. Um, but instead, they left him and <laughs> right through the I, game in this. Sort I of- think that's again the the, the major issue with a, a game that's so open, which, which all video games are ultimately open uh, when you compare them to, you know, books or TV or movies mm. where it's linear. You're, you're directed exactly in that path. It never sort of deters. And it's why that a character that you dislike but end up liking are almost exclusively limited to role-playing games, which involve a lot of reading. Um you know, because essentially that is scripted specifically that way for you to discover that character. Um, something like Lost Odyssey, which I know you're playing through, Jay. Um, you've got Kaim, the main mm. character, who is incredibly dislikable. But as you you discover more about him, he becomes a character that at least I quite liked. But because Alan Wake doesn't use any of that sort of scripted text-based story to build it up, he, you can, can't help but shake what you originally thought about him as you play him. And it's almost like, oh, I just don't like this guy. And you just end up playing the game for the sake of playing it rather than the sake of discovery. For me, it was just, he was like some kind of precious writer. You know, I'm an author, you know, and it's like, and it was just this, this, 
demeanor he had about himself and it was just you know oh, it just it really grated on me uh, i don't know the, if that's the, the same for other people that is what it's based on but i mean the the story involves he's a, he's struggled for two years he's got writer's block his you know his wife who he you know undervalues her worth almost uh, due to his own stress and anger over his story writing issues. She schedules mm. him to meet a psychiatrist, which is every- against everything that he believes, because with him being a writer, he shouldn't have any problems getting his feelings out. And mm-hmm. um, that anger almost builds up. And you you know he loves his wife, but he's almost disrespects her. And it, you've got a character where all that's thrown at you within what, the first chapter. You think, this guy's a bit of a despicable bell end, but, you know... You, you carry on. Um, and he's not really that bad a guy. He's just stressed due to, or uh, at least that was the intent, is that he was stressed due to having, you know, writer's block and he'd punched a journalist in the face. Um, he was massive cultural phenomenon for an author, um, which, you know, I'm guessing could only relate to what we've seen with Stephanie Meyer or even J.K. Rowling in recent days where they are absolutely world famous authors and he he gets harassed by paparazzi he's always asked about his new book that he's unable to write and that as the backstory makes sense it's how they've taken that backstory and perhaps delivered it throughout the full length of the game where you've really struggled to get a grip on why you should like this character and for some people they did and most they didn't but the thing is they did they did this with Barry in the game where I, when he first came into it, I was thinking, oh, what is this? A caricature, comical mm. character. I despised him at the start. I just thought, what the fuck is this guy doing in the game? But by the time he got to the, like, later in the game and you got to, say, the asylum scene, I really liked yeah. him because he started to feel like a plausible character at that point where his reactions were, they felt genuine to what was going on, the confusion. And, and, and whilst he was making some wisecracks, you kind of, they were more made out of fear of, of what was going on around them. And I started to relate to that character and it, it baffled me why they didn't, or how they couldn't have created something similar with, with the writing behind um, Alan White. I guess it's always easier to make a secondary character more likes because he's not always on screen. He's not always involved. And of course, Barry does have a very important purpose to the story in that, you know, Alan Wake, only had his mother, his father, uh, I believe his father died. So Barry was his best friend and the only sort of male influence he had in his life growing up. And that you, there is that bond and that that's why there is that sort of comic humor and almost, um, you know, reverie between them. Um, and you, you do realize that ultimately he is there as a friend, not as an agent. And you're, you're right. He does develop over the story, but it's when you only get intermittent sort of appearances from a character, it's, you're able to sort of skip sections in that character's story and make sense of it yourself. When it's the main character, it has to be delivered out there. Asking writers to come up and fill in, uh, game players to come in and sort of fill the gaps on that character doesn't work. Um, it's it's never easy because then it, you're essentially becoming the, the, the silent protagonist issue of a game where you're filling gaps in, but we know he's not silent. So it's almost mm. that 50-50 split and it's... Essentially, that is what will alienate players. I've said on here before uh, that I generally prefer silent protagonists because probably for the reason that a huge percentage of speaking vocal protagonists in video games are so fucking annoying and stupid, whereas actually I didn't hate Alan Wake as somebody to play because 
at least there was some justification, like you say, in the backstory for his dickishness. And at least he was a kind of identifiable dick. You know, we're all, we all irritate ourselves sometimes, I think, with our petulance or, you know, arrogance yeah. or whatever negative <laughs> qualities. I could identify, empathize with Alan better than I could with any number of, you know, idiot space marines or Kratos type, you know, muscle bound, eternally angry for, you know, kind of grand emotional reasons. This this bloke is a bit of a dick, but then, you know, aren't we all, <laughs> I suppose? Mm, I think I think there's there's a point within that, which is one of the things that I liked about the game in general, which was that he doesn't become some kind of Superman during the course no. of the game by doing superhuman things. Everything that he's doing in the game, all it, it, it felt very grounded in, in, if you will, plausibility with, you know, the weapons that he uses. It, it, there's nothing specialised about what he's doing. Yeah, it's very much like the Silent Hill route, um, obviously with better, better and more fluid controls than mm. the early Silent Hill games. But that that idea that you're playing. A relative, albeit a middle class, every man. You yeah, know? It, the game even does go out of its way to explain how he's able to use weapons, because he goes to shooting ranges and uh, does mm. articles on crime scene investigation that, for his character. Ever, I mean, the fact that he's in America is that ever called into question well, yeah. that he doesn't know how to use there, a gun? There is that, <laughs> of course. Just... But you know, it, it is at least explained that he does research this stuff for his previous series mm. of books. Inconveniently, he was uh, terrified of the dark as a child. This is not the ideal scenario for him. No. Um, yeah, I mean, we should set it up. The The basic thing is, as as Carl mentioned, uh, Alan has writer's block. So um, in traditional fashion for these stories, they arrange a nice relaxing trip away to somewhere idyllic. Of course, it's not actually idyllic. Um, the place they stay was in fact sunk into a lake a hundred years ago or whatever. <laughs> and the place is uh, kind of possessed by uh, a, a malevolent dark force called the Dark Presence, um, which takes over people. They become the Taken, um, engulfed in darkness, and you. Uh, the gameplay comes in where you have to burn the darkness from them um, to be able to hurt them. Of course, at that point, is he just shooting people in the face? Uh, various twists and turns along the way. Um, Carl, obviously it's been two and a half years for me since I played this uh, perhaps you could guide us a little through some of the key story points. Yeah, well, I mean, as I previously mentioned, he, he goes to this area um, on a sort of a holiday uh, started by his yeah. wife, Alice, um, to, you know, get some peace and quiet where there's going to be less prying eyes into his life. But she also mm. scheduled an appointment with uh, the, the world-famous Dr. Emil Hartman, a psychiatrist, to try and... Uh, sorry, a psychologist to try and unlock, mm. you know, the problems that's that's essentially limiting him. Um, they they go to this beautiful place on Cauldron Lake, Bird Lake Cabin. Um, they go into town to receive the key, um, and it's given to them by a character you later discover is Barbara Jagger, the game's antagonist. Uh, they they go to the cabin. Alice informs the uh, him that he's going to go and see this Dr. Hartman. He throws a hissy fit strop, um, storms out the house. The lights go out in the house. You hear Alice scream. He runs into the house, finds only the back door open and sees Alice drowning in Cauldron Lake. And that is the the setup for how the game starts. 
uh, and Alan dives in after her? He does. He, he dives in uh, to try and find her. Blacks out immediately as soon as he hits the water. Wakes up to realise he's actually been in a car crash and he's hit a tree in the in the woods. He goes to explore the woods or at least find somewhere he sees a gas station over the view and heads for the gas station to try and use the phone. Um, you know, he on the way he goes to uh, goes through a wood uh, wood cutting sort of farm um, run by mm. a guy called Stucky. Uh, he's the first taken you encounter. Um, you mm. you realise fighting him that this is where they're vulnerable to the dark. You kill him and you eventually get to the to the gas station um, where you meet Sarah Breaker, the sheriff of the town. And she takes you back to the lake where she explains that the cabin hasn't actually been there for a mm. hundred years. I actually found the uh, the treatment they did of the Taken quite effective. I know a lot of people didn't. Uh, uh, even as recently as the last issue of this podcast, I was uh, taking the piss out of the treatment they always do to demon voices in video games and cartoons where they talk in the deep, uh, guttural way with the reverb and the bass. But actually, what I think what they did with the Taken is their, their voices sort of phase in and out of being... Um, slowed down and 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 having that sort of you know de- demonic treatment and i actually thought it worked it worked quite well um good good surround mix as well um a lot of the sort of moment to moment gameplay that uh, you experience is kind of arena based combat effectively where uh, members of the taken are springing out of the undergrowth at you and you're running from light source to light source or creating your own light sources and um I was never, you know, I was never sort of uh, close to switching the game off levels of terrified, but I was enjoyably ghost train ride sort of tense, you know? It, it harkened back to that kind of feeling you had with Resident Evil, you know, but rather than sort of being ammo based, it was light source based. You battery know, based. Quite, yeah, you're always thinking like, and the batteries were quite, you know, uh, early on they go quite quickly so it added that he did add an element of tension to all the combat and and you were you were always sort of scanning everything for for you know light sources and stuff and uh it's really hard to fault the game on its atmospherics because i think it is pretty damn good at what it does i mean in the audio as well you know when you're in the forest uh, just you know you, you've got the sound of the trees the wind blowing through the leaves and all that kind of stuff mm. it just adds all that kind of stuff in there that just really sort of sucks you into that moment good lighting and good audio and i i I always felt like um the control of alan the sort of it's almost twin stick style in that you're using both the uh the torch and the guns is that right it sort of felt like it yeah the the right stick was um was actually your torch direction so that essentially was your reticle so you to all intents and purposes, you play in any sort of third-person shooter from you know Gears of War through to mm. something like Binary Domain, but it does it in a way that didn't ever feel like it was anything more than a, you know the you know quote-unquote survival horror sort of style of game. Mm. Um, which personally, I thought they were incredible controls. You know, you look at something like Resident Evil since has you know gone with full motion controls for Operation Raccoon City and Resident Evil Six, and they've still struggled to nail it down. Whereas you know Alan Wake managed yeah. to sort of nail it in one. Yeah, I thought it was fine, and and like the you were saying earlier that the run and the dodge run the same button, but actually I never had any problems with that. You could uh, do some quite cool slow mo dodging. I think there was there were an achievement 
actually linked to that. Mm. Um, and it was the tension that was evoked by the fact that you had to burn just just putting your reticule on an enemy in this game is not enough. You have to burn the darkness off, and that for me was the the key, uh, the most memorable and enjoyable element of the experience was actually managing the crowd, you know, crowd control and uh, using the arsenal of weapons you have at your disposal, plus worrying about your resources in terms of light and dashing between light source and light source using your flares. I thought that stuff was good fun. Um, it is uh, is combat heavy, definitely. It's more of a it's more of a shooter than say you know, the original, um, you know, the survival horror classics like Resident Evil One or Silent Hill. But um, but I enjoyed it. I think it works well. What what I did find amusing, however, was you know Jay mentioned how quickly the batteries run out in your torch, but mm. they were you know quite memorably sponsored by Energizer. Every battery was energizer, yeah. and it wasn't really the greatest advertisement for the quality of their batteries. <laughs> no. Well, it's because you possibly you you didn't you sort of flare your torch, your flashlight to full beam yeah, all the time to burn uh, the darkness. You would off, hold so. left trigger, and it would it would become essentially yeah. full beam, and that's when you would do. I mean, even ma- so, massive yeah, those impact, are, yeah. Those are some short batteries, but yes, uh, absolutely. So. Uh, Alan is, uh, so therefore, um, sort of comes to understand that the cabin wasn't there. So the the whole thing with his wife kind of really happened. So, uh, he sort of, he starts to believe that she must've been kidnapped. Yeah. There's a a character, Ben Mott, who worked at the, if I remember correctly, he worked at the lodge, uh, Dr. Hartman's lodge. Um, he contacts Alan and informs him that, uh, he's kidnapped his wife and that he'll do a trade for the manuscript, which... You know, by this point, Alan's discovered a couple of pages on his way out of the car. Um, oh, that's right. Which These, this is a book that he's ostensibly written, but he has no memory of writing. Absolutely. Um, in, and he's informed by Sarah that it's been a couple of days, essentially the that 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 have passed in his blackout phase. Um, the 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 book's titled Departure, which is the next book he was intending to write, um, and it tells of. In events yet to come that by this point have just started to happen. Um, ben Mott, the character, contacts him and and tries to sort out a trade at Mirrors Mirrors Pass, I believe Mirrors Peak, some mm-hmm. some some place out on top on on Mirrors Peak on top of a hill. Okay. Um, he's then contacted by Rose, who he met at the diner when he picked up the key. That she in fact has all the pages. Um, and that Alan and Barry, who's since come to visit, uh, should go and retrieve the, the pages from her. Uh, of course, as expected, she's possessed by the dark presence. Mm-hmm. She she drugs them both, um, and he the uh, passes out again, uh, which becomes kind of a trait throughout the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, he is he encounters a man in his sort of hallucination dream phase who tells mm. uh, in a diving suit. Who, yes, you know, essentially an old-fashioned sort of uh, yeah, a yeah. proper walking diving suit. Um, yeah, like you, uh, like a big daddy out of Bioshock type diving suit, really. Yeah, um, and who just tells him to turn the light on. You know, you know, not really the most creative line, but it'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes round. He sees Barbara, who handed him the key. Uh, he turns the light on. She disappears. Uh, he attempts to leave the caravan, and he encounters. The cheesy FBI agent Robert Nightingale, who's you know 
biggest threat are a bunch of cheesy, horrific, you know, sort of insults aimed at Alan Wake, where he calls him Brett Easton Ellis and oh, yeah, yeah, Dan yeah, Brown. Yeah, and so well, the Dan Brown one's actually quite withering. You know, I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. It's an insult. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, he said, tells them not to run, but knowing that he only has two days to go and get these pages for Ben Mott, he, he decides to run from the police. He eventually makes his way to Mirror's Peak, meets Mott, who informs him that he never actually had Alice. Uh, the paranormal events kick in around the town, which, mm. of course, made famous in video previews before the game. It pulls Ben Mott into the air. He's torn in half. It starts to come for Alan Wake. He uses the flares to battle off the darkness and jumps back into Cauldron Lake. Mm. Cauldron Lake begins to drown, and he's pulled out by a hand. And that is the end of episode two. Uh, and he comes to in the very uh, institution that his wife was trying to take him to to get his noggin checked out. That's it, the one run by Dr. Emil Hartman. Um, yeah, who's in no way a sinister figure. No. Uh, he always reminded me a bit of Bob Holness from Blockbusters, but, you know. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> he's even more sinister than Bob Holness. Absolutely. Um he meets the Anderson brothers, who we referenced earlier as the members of the Old Gods of Asgard band. The, the, the story goes a little weird here, and it sort of makes little to no sense, but they inform him that they have a hidden message for him in one of their songs. However, they can't tell him the exact line because they're on drugs administered by <laughs> Dr. Hartman. You know Why they remember one part of it and not the other, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. However, quite handily, they create a ruckus, uh, and Alan sneaks out. He finds Barry, who's been held captive by, doc- uh, by Dr. Hartman in his office, who just happens to have some pages of the manuscript on his desk. Uh, so you know he's somehow involved in the story. He knows mm. the events that are happening. He tells Barry that Barbara has Alice, um, and they, they then go to the farm, which was the Anderson Brothers' farm. Um, they find the song, The Poet and the Muse, which is... Uh, essentially become quite famous post-release of the game. The mm. message tells him to find Cynthia Weaver, the Lady of the Light, and she will help reshape destiny. They stay the night. Barry, being the, the comical clown he is, finds out the moon, finds the moonshine that the Andersons have been brewing. They decide to drink it because That's it's right. too they late to go out. Yeah. They get absolutely yeah. pissed as a fart. They pass out because it's been distilled with the water from the lake. Um, <laughs> and in his visions, he remembers all the events that happened over the weekend. Uh, and that, that's how he knows that, that Barbara is essentially the person, the, the main antagonist of the story, the one who pulled her away. Um, she informs Alan that it was his fault um, and that if he wants to rescue her, he needs to write the story, Departure, uh, and Barbara will be the editor. She edits it so that the Taken becomes so large it grows and kills everyone in the town of Bright Falls. Alan realises Barbara's plan, writes a Thomas Zane, who would later arrive and stop him from finishing the book. Zane arrived and awoke Alan from the hypnosis that Barbara had put him under. Uh, Alan took the manuscript and drove off from the log cabin before crashing into a a tree, and obviously the manuscript pages spilled out of the car all over Bright Falls. That's how we realise what's happened, and that's the end of episode three. Okay, so um, is there a... Is is it is the relationship between Alan and the Dark Presence actually explained? Other than it's his fear of the dark, it's never explained why it's there, only why mm. it's a problem for him. Um, 
you, Barbara, you realize, uh, is essentially the darkness because Cynthia is the lady of the light and everything has to mm. balance out light versus dark. Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether Barbara actually has a, a title, whereas obviously Cynthia does. Mm. Um, but we just know that essentially she is the darkness. At some point in uh, episode four, Cynthia uh, says that they're, everyone, in fact, is a character from a Thomas Zane story. Yes, that's, that's right. When they, they meet at Bright Falls Dam where she lives, mm. uh, she, she informs them that they're actually all stories in his novel. Uh, they're all mm-hmm. characters in his novel. Um, and that Zane wrote a way for Alan to defeat uh, Barbara with a, uh, and a weapon that lies in the so-called well-lit room. When he arrives, he finds the page written by Zane. It's a page of Alan's own childhood, the weapon being the clicker, which his mother gave to him as a child when he was afraid mm. of the dark, that when he clicked it, an imaginary light would come on and r- kill all the creatures of darkness that were in the room coming after him. Yeah, so is this um, this Thomas Zane novel that is in, in which... Is this... Is this a metaphorical novel, or is this meant to be a novel that was actually available in the in the world of Alan Wake on the shelves? This, that confused me. At, at this point, I'm not entirely sure whether you know that Alan Wake's real or Thomas Zane's real, and I think mm. it tries to play one way or the other and keep you on edge that you don't, mm. you know, is is Zane the author and Alan the character, or is Alan the author and Zane the character? Uh, the only thing we're aware of is that Alan has written Zane into a story. Because that's what happened in the in the uh, cabin whilst he was sort of under hypnosis. So two possibly fictional authors both writing about each other. Yes. Yeah. But there's another there is a, another layer to that, though, and this is probably why I had a bit of an issue with it. Is is sometimes it's played as if it's in his head. All this stuff is in his head. He's going through this like internally or whatever mm. like it's a psychological thing it's yeah. him it, and then there's other moments where it's not because there's all the others other people reacting to it and it's real and it's there whatever it is 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 this you know this malevolence is, is i suppose a real he thing. could be projecting uh that yeah. onto other people and you're seeing it through his eyes because you're you're playing the protagonist but i i personally found it quite sort of Maybe it was deliberate. Maybe they wanted to keep the the sort of the the player sort of guessing all the time. But I found that it got to the point where I'd like I, I wanted it to go one way or the other. Now, yeah, know, I mean, I, for me, I would like some but... more clarity on it. I, I know when you wake up mm. in the uh, Doctor Hartman's Institute, he informs you that the events hadn't happened and that there were in fact uh, lies and hallucinations in Alan's mind to cover up the death of his wife Alice. Mm. Mm. That that is pretty much the only reference, and you're almost left to make the rest up yourself. Yeah, it's, it it gets to the point where you wonder how much uh, the author was just playing at writing a David Lynch style story, yeah. and not actually, you know, didn't actually have the answers himself. Um, gets even more confusing in the next chapter uh, because uh, Thomas Zane introduces Alan to uh, a sort of doppelganger of Alan called Mr. Scratch who's uh, like a sort of crazy uh, actually no he's not well no he's not crazy because there's the other um, manifestation of Alan which is the sort of 
angry mental part, isn't there? Yeah. Mr. Scratch is a kind of uh, uh, like a body snatchers type charismaless clone who uh, is playing the part of Alan in the real world while Alan is trapped under a lake writing the ending to the book. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it does get a bit crazy and I think this does sort of stem where maybe Sam Lake himself lost a little bit of control over what he was trying to do. Um, mm. you, don't, you don't exactly know how much was cut by editing and time, but there's certainly a lack of clarity towards the end of the game, which perhaps explains why they required the DLC so much. But ultimately, after meeting Cynthia, he goes back across town to the lake. Um, he dives back into the lake to save Alice. Once again, he blacks out. Uh, and he has to battle hallucinations in his mind to, that are attempting to stop him finding the clicker that he's dropped because he knows that he needs it. Um, he's visited by Zane, and, and he tells Alan that Barbara has no heart and he's filling with light. Uh, he rescues him, uh, in, introduces him to the, the Mr. Scratch, which we mentioned. Um, Alan eventually enters the cabin and sees Barbara Jagger there. He walks towards her and he notices a hole where a heart should be. He charges at her and sticks his fist into her chest and clicks the clicker. Light fills uh, Barbara, as you, you know, you, you can picture exactly how it's going to happen. She disappears. Alan walks into the study where it all began. Um, he, he, knows, uh, he claims he now knows how he has to end the book. There has to be the balance of good versus evil. If there's something greatly good, something must be equally evil. In the last moments, we see Alan sitting alone in the study, typing the pages of, the, of Departure. He looks up and utters the line, It's not a lake, it's an ocean. We then hear Alice shouting, Alan, wake up. That's the end of the game. Yeah, although or, well, it sort of is, um, because uh, actually I think, the, the first DLC was was it released concurrently day one or certainly very soon um, after wasn't it? It came at a later date, but if you bought the collector's edition, yeah. they included a code. I believe it was supposed to That's be right. out the day of release, and it was delayed for whatever mm. reasons. Probably the same reasons that kept Alan Wake getting released early in the first place. Yeah, so um, two pieces of I think they weren't overly expensive, were they? The episode I think they were four hundred Microsoft points. Yes, I believe that was the price. Uh, Three pounds forty each, or five dollars. Um, they were, I think, particularly the signal. Possibly both of them uh, were a lot more difficult um, gameplay-wise. They were very combat. They were even more heavily combat-focused, but they both detailed uh, Alan's attempts to escape from the cabin under the lake. Yeah, they they sort of it goes all, you know. Again, it it's clearly influenced by many things. In this case, lost, and he tries to sort of battle his way through again with the hallucinations. I know that the, I believe the order of release was the signal and then the writer. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that the signal was actually quite a weak piece of DLC. Um, mm. the writer was much shooting, better. Yeah, it was it was awful. I, I'm much more preferred the writer as a piece of dlc yeah um i really don't have strong memories and i can't remember to my shame what happens at the end of the writer but i don't recall it completely sort of resolving the the alan wake story 
I think it, from again, this is from memory because whilst I played the game three times, I only played the DLC once. Right. Um, I believe it sort of clears it up a little that whilst it is the end of the game, it's not going to be the end of a franchise. Um, and yeah. It extends on the line that you know it's not a lake; it's an ocean, and that essentially it's not this small; it's a much bigger problem. Um, and that, that again, it's going to continue in the future. Yeah, and uh, the the insane uh, version of himself that he sees on various screens and things throughout the the DLC, uh, he he manages to make physical contact with him at the end, so he kind of regains his. Uh, his sanity, um, but he just, uh, the, I think the last thing we see is he's about to start writing another novel. Yeah. Um, whether that's a good idea or not is debatable. <laughs> Probably <laughs> um, not as a liter- literature I mean, uh, fan. There are a few things that are, you know, referenced in the sort of the, the finale, the, the final things we see that Night- Agent Nightingale, the FBI agent, we believe is going to be. The face of darkness in the in the future things we know he didn't die and he's referenced and um, mm. the girl from oh, he gets the, whisked away at some point he does he? yeah um, and you see him flash at the end and we also see Rose at the end um, who we believe is going to take the role of Lady of the Light so you've got again the balance of good versus evil going into the next game we 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 know who they are and obviously we've got Alan hopefully hopefully the next game you play is Alan Wake and not Mister Scratch. Yeah. Uh, so, what what did you make of it all um, as a, as, a, as a whole piece of storytelling? Um, I I thought you know I I enjoyed it more than Max Payne simply because there was kind of more going on and more ideas. But I'm still not sure, especially having sort of gone through that synopsis again, that it's entirely successful. I think it's quite clumsy. The 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 writing feels like it has a purpose, but never actually delivers what that is, and. I I applaud what Remedy tried in the same way that you know I admire that they tried to create a character that you don't necessarily like. Um, mm. You know, it, it's quite a brave move and not something you see in games. Normally, when you dislike a character, they actually want you to like that character and you don't like it. We know yeah. Remedy did not want you to like this character, um, mm. and whilst. I the the overall outline we understand you know where it started where it was going and where it tried to end. It just could have been written a whole lot better. That to me, you get the impression that that was almost first draft, and we never quite got the yeah you know, the, the the finalized product. I think yeah, that's that rings true of um of uh, of his writing um in all the games again you know back in. 2001 when Max Payne 1 came out obviously I played it recently I didn't in, I didn't like it at all some people who corresponded with the with the show felt differently perhaps they played it at the time video games writing you know was was where it was and so on and so forth but by 2010 wouldn't it have been nice if um you know by all means Sam Lake you know you've been working with Remedy since day one since the late 90s or whatever um have your story but perhaps get some you know some script polishers in to actually some screen ex screenplay experts to come in and and sort of smooth those rough edges off and say hey you know that's that's a cheesy hackneyed idea we've seen that a million times before is there another way you could do this um this bit and that bit don't go together uh there's a massive disconnect between this bit and that bit and you know just kind of i, th- I think it's just, it's just too much in there and i think he, he needed to strip it down um 
there's a you know there is a lot of uh, fluff in that mm. sort of script of the game, and then and the the thing about having a, an unlikable character, yeah, that's fine, but there has to be a reason for that, and there has to be a payoff as to why they want you to dislike him. But they never really give you that, and you just end up kind of disliking him throughout, and that's a problem. There has to be a point and a purpose as to why they wanted to do that, but they don't ever really give you that. I think they, they tried a little too late, didn't they, to bring the feelings of his wife in. I don't know if you necessarily played the DLC, Jay. No, I didn't, and that that's why I'm kind of sort of probably left with the feelings I yeah. have towards the stories because I didn't sort of see I that. I did say it, and I don't feel that there was any. Mm. It, it didn't complete any sort of arc. There was no redemptive final act, particularly or anything like that. You, it doesn't feel like it ends at the end of the game or the end of the DLC. Really, it just kind of feels like it's mm. just yeah. carrying on. It's kind of like feels like a TV series that got cancelled. It falls through. flat of a cliffhanger as well, and I think that yeah. You won't have, whilst there was a great number of people who wanted to play this, you probably have less people clamouring to play a sequel based on the lack of a cliffhanger. Um, yeah. Through the through the DLC, we we they tried to express more of the relationship between him and Alice and why he loves her and why he's doing it for her. But you think that by the time you're playing the DLC, you've already gone through 10, 10 hours of game that really could have done with that information then, um, you know and that that felt a little daft. What what I would say is the outline of the story would probably make for a terrific twenty three part TV series. In a game, I just don't think you'd necessarily get in the 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 impact that they wanted from it. I think um, the the problem is that one of the biggest problems with it, uh, thematically, story wise, is that obviously as well as you know the other influences we mentioned of twilight zones and lots of stephen king stuff is is the twin peaks stuff now i'm no twin peaks expert but i've seen enough clips and read enough about it over the years to know that it was more genuinely unhinged and bizarre than alan wake ever gets so alan wake seems to want some of what twin peaks had but while keeping playing it pretty safe with the with the horror as it were with the scares with the thrills you know it's it's people caked you know caked in darkness and scary things coming out of the woods there's nothing that is genuinely sort of like oh my god i have no idea what i'm watching now you know this is so fucking weird this is so fucked up god i'd like to meet the man who wrote this because this is crazy it never get it never reaches that at all it it, it doesn't it, it tries to stay in a, in a path and I, I think that's where they didn't want to replicate twin peaks because they didn't want to be known as a twin peaks ripoff but they went mm. to the point where it just became a poor Twin Peaks. Like they'd gone mm. just mm. slightly too far uh, or not far enough. Um, I think maybe they should have uh, focused more on the Twilight Zone side of things because, you know, as much as, you know, as you get older, you see more and more of these stories with the twist and you become more and more aware of what's coming. Like it, it, yeah. it's funny to me reading Twitter now when somebody's just seen a, a film with a big twist in for the first time, you know, somebody who's like 18 or 19 who's going, oh my God, it's the most awesome thing ever. And you're just like, yeah, I, you know, I've seen that story told a thousand times before. I think stories with twist become easier to spot as you get older, not because you get cleverer, just simply because you've seen it done so many times. But I am still a sucker for that sort of thing. I, I recently watched a load of classic Twilight Zone episodes from the American series on um, uh, Netflix US. And, uh, you know, there's 
there's still so much to like about those amazing performances, great ideas. You know, a lot of the special effects are appalling, but this that's so outweighed by the actual, the atmosphere and the acting and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I, I wish they'd kind of committed to that atmosphere more. Whereas, as I say, I think part of the problem is they, they, they spread themselves too thin across too many influences and they're kind of all pulling the, the Stephen King is pulling against the twilight zone and that's pulling against the twin peaks. And in the end, you've got, what feels like a kind of bad medley rather than a, a coherent whole. It's it, you know, you can only wonder what a studio more renowned for its writing could have done with something like Alan Wake. I mean, you know, Rockstar themselves don't seem to mess around when it comes to trying to write a decent story. Um, you know, there are obviously others and it, it's almost like it had all the parts to be a great game but they never quite were able to sort of meld them together. Just thinking how ironic it would be if uh, Rockstar ended up making Alan Wake <laughs> 3, the same way as, as they did with Max Payne, and uh, possibly making a better game. We shall see. Uh, let's hear from some of our forum correspondents. Let's hear from Del b 2 k reliable as ever. Thanks, Derek. And <clears throat> I found this interesting as well that everyone who has come forward to say good things about Alan Wake has been apologetic about about it. So there's a real sense that despite 2 million sales and high review scores, that people, there's obviously like a a feeling that people don't like it. But then again, I also saw our own Sean O'Brien saying, wow, there seems to be a lot of hate for Alan Wake. Why, why were all these people so quiet in 2010 when I was hating it on my own? So I don't know. <laughs> it's, I guess it comes down to this perception thing that people always feel differently to you or whatever. But anyway, Derek says, okay, let's get it out there. I like Alan Wake. I like the way it told the story, the foreshadowing of the tale through the manuscript pages, giving a glimpse of what was coming next in a way that was suitably enticing enough to keep me on my toes. I liked the location and the sense of place and community that existed throughout my journey. I liked how one man's frustration and irritations with life and work manifest into empowerment when faced with the possibility of loss. But mainly I liked the gameplay and the combat. Alan Wake was all about group control and management, learning to quickly identify who or what you needed to weaken and take out quickly while still dodging and running in order not to get hit. The removing of the shadow before being able to take out the taken was always enjoyable to me as it made me think how to approach what I saw in front of me in a more structured way than simply going with all guns blazing. Plus that rock concert fireworks session just made me grin like a lunatic for a while. Yes, the collectibles are rubbish and appear to detract more than they add, but my argument is that optional things are optional. If you have a compulsion to search them out, then that is not all the game's fault. The end can also be a little hit and miss, as while it wraps up the story, it still feels incomplete in a few ways, unless you buy the DLC. And I say, even if you buy the DLC. Uh, And he says, oh, and Night Springs, great little distractions and well-produced. I would contest that, but... uh, they're amusing, yes. Um, but I certainly, the, the bit of Derek's I agree there most is the thing we've already discussed, which is the, the actual, the combat, which is, which is probably what you spend the most time doing. And, and I've seen some people say that the game's repetitive. I don't really see that it's more or less repetitive than any number of other uh, third-person action games in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean his opinion is his opinion. I'm not, not going to uh, dispute it. I mean, what he says about the gameplay is... is valid you know i think that's uh that's what all of us took out yeah of it, it seems really. to be the things i do remember like yeah I, I just thought the thermos flask thing was funny it's just like 
uh, as Derek says, it's optional. A lot of people were complaining about it. Um, and, and I sort of thought, yeah, you don't have to collect them. It, it felt kind of laughable. It did feel like something that had been crowbarred in from another game. Yeah. Um, the manuscript pages obviously made a lot more sense. They, they were a sensible collectible. A lot of them were right in your path. Some of them weren't. Um, they were worth seeking out if you wanted to complete the story such as it was. The Thermos Flask just felt like a complete um, video gamey bolt-on. Um, the other thing uh, that I think is probably worth briefly commenting on is the fact that there are one or two quite brief driving sections which seem to be mm-hmm. probably a leftover from when the game was going to be more open world. Um, I imagine that the game that Deadly Premonition ended up being, for all its mechanical shortcomings, the actual a a uh, a Twin Peaks-like game where you actually have the the free roaming of the area with uh, vehicles and stuff. I imagine that's how Alan Wake was kind of in the heads of the designers when yeah. when it was first uh, in development. Um, and yeah, those driving sections felt very kind of um, brief and inconsequential. But I was sort of while I was while I was doing those, it's quite you know it's quite fun mowing down the Taken. Um, with your headlights yeah. yeah I actually quite liked the feeling of driving the car around the town it, you know it it gave you know the, the the visually you got to see a lot more of the town through that section than you ever could through walking it because you wouldn't want to walk that long distance but when it came to you know driving it it, it was actually quite interesting the mechanics didn't feel too bad it felt like it was mm. something they could have quite easily have put into the full game and been done with it it was, it was like that was perhaps one of the first things they focused on getting right and even though it was only a short section it didn't feel alien to the rest of the game it actually felt like oh okay yeah i'll do this that then that felt fine and it was over and done with I think it was. It must have been uh, mo- mostly thrown out, and ra- you know there are there are plenty of levels where they could have just had a car on on you know available. You could have GTA style carjacked or whatever. But firstly, it would have kind of sat at odds with Alan Wake just being a regular dude writer who, if he was busting in cars and hot wiring them. Although again, you could have justified that with it. Oh, well, he's researched this for for a novel or whatever. Um, but also, I think in the end, the environments just weren't big enough to justify it on most of the levels. Yeah. Uh, it would have been silly. You would have been getting in a car, driving a block, and then getting out again. And I suppose it would have been not worth it. In fact, as I recall, isn't there an achievement for walking one section that you can drive if it's optional to drive or optional to walk? I think that's. I think you're actually right. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to just take in take the country air, you can <laughs> walk about ten minutes or whatever it is. It's not even that probably, but. Um, yeah. And of course, optional things are optional. Indeed. So. True words spoken by Dell. Uh, Indiana 747, former guest of this show, stalwart Battlefield 3 player. I've just read, uh, noticed he's written bulldozers. <laughs> uh, Indy says, again, he's come forward if people feel this is unbalanced because there are you know more people saying they like the game than don't, then you should have put on the forum that you didn't like the game. Then we would have read that out too. Indy says, I enjoyed Alan Wake tremendously. It was one of the first games I got after I bought my 360. Plus the fact they got it for a 10 and it meant it was a low risk. I found the story to be quite good actually, although I have read uh, many people's opinions to the contrary. What can I say? I'm a sucker for possessed combine harvesters and bulldozers. The combat mechanics stood out from other third person games because of the flashlight to break the shadow effect. So not only was I worried about how many bullets I had left, but the fact that those bullets were useless if I hadn't stocked up on Duracell. 
himself or energizer. It got hectic on occasions, just managing to get to a street lamp for regen and mini checkpoint. It was perfectly balanced. Yes, the dialogue was corny at times, but I think it was on purpose just to mimic a 60s Twilight Zone style of atmosphere. Barry was bearable, as were most of the characters, and the game did benefit from the larger areas to roam around in, due to the fact that it was originally supposed to be a sandbox game, even if it didn't have much of interest off the linear track that you were meant to go down, other than coffee flasks. All in all, a very engrossing atmospheric game with eerie settings, beautiful backdrops, and distinctive art style. I got the DLC packs when they were on sale. The writer was okay, but the signal was the better of the two. I think I have that the right way around. Mm, Dodgy memory and all that. So again, uh, very similar comments to Derek. Uh, enjoyed the, the hokey story for what it is and uh, had a lot of fun with the combat. Now, Tony Atkins uh, put a little time into Alan Wake's American Nightmare, which came out uh, last February, almost a year ago, on Xbox Live Arcade. Was it part of the one of their promotions, possibly? Uh, like game block party uh, or whatever it's called. Yeah, I, ble- I believe it was I believe it was summer of arcade 2000 and, and Nah, it was February 12. Oh, yeah, you you're quite right it was. It was one of their uh, their first one that they call. I can't remember what they call yeah, it. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it's called. But they released um, at a ridiculous price. Was it 1200 points, wasn't it? Yeah. So 10 pounds, 15 dollars. Um Alan Wake's American Nightmare. Um they sort of teased it for a while. Uh it it wasn't even known um whether this was like a, a full-blown sequel or, or whatever. Uh, it turned out it's, uh, it's, a, it's a strange sort of multi-part game. It's got a part, part story, but it's more of a, if anything, it sort of sends up the real Alan Wake. I understand this is where we're talking out of our hats because we've not played it. Um, but there's also uh, a sort of Horde-style arena shooter, which almost, this is why I feel like maybe I should have played it because I am one of the people who got something out of the combat. Um, I've just never got around to buying it. I couldn't buy it for this show because I have literally no money currently. Um, so it's a shame, but uh, fortunately we do have a couple of correspondents. Um, I was talking to Indiana747 about it, who has commented the other night, and he was saying, uh, and I'd heard this before, that the structure is that you play through it once uh, and then you play through it two or three more times after that, and each time is quicker. Um, there's something about the structure which actually not demands, but requests that you do that and rewards you for doing it. So Indy says, I got American Nightmare a couple of months ago and played it through in a couple of sittings. Was not disappointed. It was more Alan Wake after all, just what I wanted. The story repeat mechanic could have been handled much worse. I thought they made the three areas, three areas, not four, sorry, enjoyable, enough to warrant a few visits, if only to gather up all the collectibles and weapons. As with the main Alan Wake game, the soundtrack is superb. I never got bored of seeing the satellite smash into the tower with Kasabian blasting away in the background. The Survive Until Dawn was a good addition to uh, American Nightmare. I assume that's the horde mode he's talking about. Survive Until Dawn. Trying frantically to shoot down hordes of pitchfork-wielding yokels possessed by Mr. Scratch with limited ammo that was scattered about the map. If anyone hasn't guessed yet, I'm a fan of Alan Wake. People can have their opinions, but I will not sway with mine. I loved it. Nice force. Nice and forceful from uh, Don there. I like it. Yeah. But again, it's interesting, isn't it, that people really seem, because there seems to be a tide swell of negative opinion about Alan Wake. The people who actually enjoyed it feel the need to over-justify their appreciation of it, which is kind of a shame. But do you think some of that is played into the fact that it did take? It was one of these games that was sitting there. I think it happens a lot when you've got a game that has such a a long development phase, and it 
the hyperbole builds up unnecessarily. Mm. Maybe Expectation. Yeah. I mean, you can well, you can see it to the point with Last Guardian. Like people are expecting the second yeah. coming with this yeah. fucking thing, you know. And it's like Half Life Three. It's the three. same thing. You're you're, you're going to end up being disappointed, no matter you know how good it is. I think in that case, with the extended development cycles and, of course, console exclusivity, um, you never really see when these things come together. People just say it's all right. Yeah. Either the disappointment leads them to hating it, or the fact that they didn't hate it, they almost go almost too far the other way mm. and end up defending it. So yeah. Alan yeah. Wake's a prime example of a game that doesn't really have too many people sat in the middle. I only know people who like it or hate it. I think you might and, find a couple on this podcast in, in a little while. But, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but I mean, I mean the, the, because the people who feel that way are never really that vocal. No, indeed. You know, you, 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 people always feel they have to come out and lambast something or come out and defend something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, binary criticism mm. is is the internet way, I suppose, is the thing. Um, yeah. And we try to do something different here on Kane Rinse. Uh, Derek also played American Nightmare, obviously, because he enjoyed the the main Alan Wake game. So he says, I liked American Nightmare a lot. Interestingly told story and good combat made the four hours or so fly by in all honesty. The premise is either A, lazy for recycling, or B, clever for the story, but that depends on personal preference. I went for the latter, and as the combat was still the same, I was never going to have any complaints. Others may not enjoy it, and if you never liked Alan Wake, this will not change your mind. I'm pretty sure that's fair enough. Okay. Uh, just a few words then. Uh, Carl, I, I, we haven't summarised our own feelings yet, but given that you've played it through multiple times and got all the achievements, you're probably the biggest fan of the game here. Uh, what is the future of the franchise? We understand a sequel is in development set in a town called Ordinary. That's pretty much all we know. I don't know if it'll be released episodically, digitally, on a disc, whatever. Um, what do you want to see from that? What do you think we'll see from that? I would like to see the same kind of combat. That, first and foremost is the combat, and uh, an environment that's not too dissimilar, but different enough to be distinctive. Um, they are by far my, my most two popular memories from, from the original Alan Wake, so you don't really want to you know steer too far away from them because it seems like I'm not alone in how I feel. Um, but the, obviously the thing, the, the need to improve in the sequel is the standard of writing and the, the clarity of storytelling. Um, the they're undoubtedly clumsy in Alan Wake. Mm. Uh, so if, if a sequel is to be more su- more successful, then that's the way to go. As for how it's released, mm. I think I think we're, we're quite fortunate that Remedy can look at you know sales from retail. They can look at almost a similar to episodic sales through DLC, and they can look at full digital releases due to uh, American Nightmare. So yeah. uh, I'm sure they'll wait up in that regard and, um, you know, maybe release it. I'm also not sure if if a sequel is uh, tied down to exclusivity. I know it, it it may be able to release on more formats. That's definitely something I would like to see. You know, we never thought we'd see it with the original Mass Effect and obviously Mass Effect 2 released on, on PS3 and then later it went back and got the first title. So yeah. I would like to see, if possible, on more formats. Yeah, uh, I think it, just as I said for Asura's Wrath, I thought actually the episodic route would be ideal for a game like this. Build the engine, build the town, 
uh, and so on, and then release the episodes in the style of The Walking Dead. Um, if you charge 400 Microsoft points or the equivalent uh, per episode, I think you'll get the equivalent of many times more sales um, because people see it as a very low low risk investment. Um, and if they play the first one and enjoy it enough, they'll buy the next one and so on. Um, I don't know how feasible hmm. that is, but I think I don't see why not. Jay, what do you reckon about a potential sequel? Well, I'm curious. I'm curious as to what the motivation was for American Nightmare. Because, I mean, it is quite an unusual thing to do between two, what we suspect are like two full, if you will, whether they're disc or digital, but full proper games. Is this the sort mm. of DLC kind well, it's of standalone? A, it's a standalone game, but and it, I, I assume it's, I assume it reuses a lot of the same tech and assets and therefore is... Yeah, but it, it was the, the reason for them doing it. I mean, was it testing the waters for an episodic gameplay, you know, aspect mm. and all the rest of it? I mean, it's, it, it's curious. I'd like the idea of something like The Walking Dead because it puts the emphasis on making each section good enough that people then want to carry on mm. and see what happens next. And and as, as a lot of people have said about the writing and, and the, the storytelling, rather than in The Walking Dead, and and it. it I, I I definitely want more of that without question. Um, and, I didn't, yeah. and it also justifies the uh, the TV show style bumpering if you release it episodically. As well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, would you be keen to play a sequel based on your experiences? Without, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I've got issues with the first game, but I didn't not like it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I do like. I like some of the the more peripheral characters, perhaps like the sheriff, the um, the DJ guy he meets on that. In, in the radio station, uh, you know, and the combat was good. The visuals were stunning. Um, so I didn't, I'm not a hater, but I definitely see plenty of room for improvement. Let's, uh, let's do our three word reviews. We ended up with quite a lot. Uh, you know how this works, gentlemen, in alphabetical order, please. <laughs> not the three word reviews. Our names start J, K, and L, so this shouldn't be too difficult. Okay. Well, uh, Fury AC, uh, worth the wake. He's trying to kill us with puns. He tries, slowly, tries once it every a week. week, doesn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Astley, Twin Peaks Light. Silent Hitashura, not a fan uh, of this Xbox 360 exclusive game. <laughs> not making any uh, aspersions. He says, Puddles are enemies and uh, banal safe route one. Uh, Snaky David said, Fun but forgettable. Nick O'Neill, repetitive, annoying, dull. Nathy D says exacerbated my anxiety uh, Widget confusing non-horror Lee Rand not mincing his words here pile of shite <laughs> that's the kind of either we want really witty clever sort of oblique three word reviews or totally direct <laughs> three word reviews like that uh, Lee Rand not a fan there uh, Jerome McKee I assume it's it's short for Macintosh, is, yeah. but how do you say how do you say the I in Macintosh without saying Ntosh? Mackey. Jerome Mackey. Yeah. He says dry, boring game. And uh Benjo, three two one. Uh mediocre puddles lol. Leg of time. Unlikable, pretentious protagonist. <laughs> And extraordinarily enough, sometime after that three-word review, we got one in from Rich Spurs, 24, unlikable, pretentious protagonist. Big Andy D, um, eerie, creepy fun. 
fun. He liked it. Call stream. Sponsored by Energizer. <laughs> and many others, may I add. Many, many, many others. Yeah. yeah. Bit of product placement. Uh, and to bookend our three-word reviews nicely, Gary's anterior blower says, not worth wait. There we have it. Um, I don't normally do three-word reviews from the team, but we had three, and uh, I felt like uh, to redress the balance a bit, I'm going to make an exception this week. So both Darrens, Darren Foreman, Barry Wheeler, superstar, and Darren Gargett says, remedied development hell. It's quite, it's quite a nice spelling words. Uh, well but, done, goggles. Yeah, I know. For for somebody who's basically illiterate, it's yeah. not bad, is it? <laughs> okay, let's have our actual summary and whether we'd recommend the game or not. Let's start with Jay. Yeah, I would. I mean, Don made an interesting point because of how much he paid for the game, and I think as 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 is so very much often the case these days, mm. where you. If you pay less than a tenner between five and ten pounds for this, you're going to get your money's worth. I mean, if you like, and uh, I suppose, it, you know, if, you, if you're a fan of, I wouldn't say survival horror, but it has elements of that kind of vibe to it. I'd say, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm not like screaming from the rooftops about uh, you must play this game. I mean, you know, it does have its fair share of issues, but. I found that I could forgive some of the aspects to it for what it left me with by the time I got to the end. I mean, apart from utter confusion where the story was concerned, mm. the, the gameplay mechanics were, were fun. I enjoyed them. I mean, you know, getting attacked by hordes of, uh, or flocks of... Uh, <laughs> flocks, is that the correct collective is noun? It, I, I, what do you call it? A, a flock of taken. taken. A murder of taken, like crows. A parliament no, no, no. Of well, taken. you get all the crows, don't you? That have been. Oh yeah, no, like, that, yeah. And, there's, and that, it's that's a murder of crows. Yeah. yeah, but there was that in itself was quite a good, um, very atmospheric scene, but well animated as well. All the crows flying mm. down and stuff because you you know you burn them out and stuff. It was quite. We didn't really talk boss fights. They no, weren't that's that, true. weren't that memorable. No, but they weren't massively frustrating either. So no, yeah, I'm I'm very much with with uh, Jay on this. I didn't enjoy the overall experience as much as our correspondents Derek and Indy did because I found the story a bit of a mess and as I said I think the influences kind of pulled it apart a bit rather than served the whole thing but I did really enjoy the combat I still have a very strong memory of the feeling of uh, a good use of uh, haptic feedback or rumble uh, in layman's terms on the uh, burning away of the darkness um, the sounds of the guns were good. That's important. The actual uh, noise of uh, the darkness popping and enemies being quelled uh, was good. The I have good memories of arenas of combat being bathed in red light, um, chucking flares at, at enemies and all that sort of stuff. That was all good. Um, and it's probably the reason that I should play American Nightmare, just to, to do more of that. Um there were there were a few sh- technical shortcomings in the sense that uh, I remember a couple of frustrating moments of falling through the scenery um, or wandering into extremely dark cabins with holes in the floor and then getting game over because I fell through some somewhere I couldn't have possibly seen unless I was scouring every inch. But relatively minor complaints. Um, you know, I actually paid full price for this for the collector's edition, although I haven't replayed it. I'm unlikely to. Didn't keep it. Um, basically I have fondish memories of it and, um, 
yeah, it's it's not a game that I would ever say was essential. You know, you must play this. It's an important video game or anything like that. But I actually think it's rather good fun and not to be taken too seriously. Carl? I don't think, you know, that, you know, it can't be claimed that I'm not a fan of the game. I, I did enjoy it a lot. But in doing so, I did forgive a lot of the game's, uh, you know, shortcomings. Um, it... I always try and forgive certain elements of games, um, you know, if they don't quite get it right. And in some ways, I found Alan Wake almost the flip opposite to something like Uncharted, which delivers a great story and, for me, terrible combat. And this this was the other way around. Um, but I'd still recommend it. Like Leon said, it's not essential. But if they release a sequel, I will be there day one. Um, it's, you know, it's a lovely looking game. Um, if you have the option to get it on the PC because it is stunning on the PC, um, mm. you know it, it plays well. It has some interesting characters. The the another thing that I think we should mention is that the five one surround just the 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 general sounds rather than just outside of combat are sensational in this game. They really are something special. Um, maybe even you know certainly up there to the standard that the graphics meet. Um, that's what took them five years. I, the ambient I think noise. it probably must have been <laughs> five point one um, mix. Yeah, and that there's certainly this this the the real sort of visceral moments of that game are its strongest areas. Um, you you have to you know look past its shortcomings, otherwise you will not enjoy the experience of playing the game. Um, you know, if you're really looking, if you only play for great stories in games, you're not going to get it. I think we've made that you know very clear throughout this podcast. But given that you can get it for probably about £5 on eBay and less than £10 in shops um, for a game that, you know, looks, plays, sounds as well as it does, stick it in your collection and give it a go. Uh, see if you agree what we say. I'd say better, you know, better still just love film. Uh, yeah, or, or, or if just... you don't give a shit about the games industry, um, just rent it uh, rather than buy it because... Or just pirate yeah, it. Just, just, just pirate it, yeah. <laughs> Everyone else did at launch. Kane uh, does not advocate so, games piracy. Uh, you know, it's not going to cost you a lot of money for an no. experience that is at least worth sampling. Um, in, I, obviously, we, none of us here can recommend American Nightmare, but we know that it will be on sale again. It did go at 600 points last year, so if you want to pick up that, wait until it goes for 600 points again because Microsoft only ever matched their lowest prices, never actually beat it, or no, get it right. on Steam where you'll probably get a decent you know, price for it. Yeah, I might pick up, uh, when I get my new PC, I might pick up the Steam version of American Nightmare and uh, give it a go on there. Uh, let's hear from Tony Atkins then. It's been too long. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't do the voice, but uh, Tony gave us a three-word review, which was explosive, luminescent combat. And he also gave us this critique on the forum. He says, there's always seemingly a lot of hate for Alan Wake. <laughs> Yet another sort of uh, slightly caveated start, but let's see. Some of which is justified, some not. I think many... I Sorry, I, like many, think the story is a convoluted mess. One that is quick to explain away inconsistencies with a quick mention of Twin Peaks. It's meant to be confusing. The main protagonist, Alan himself, is a pretty unlikable character and the heavy-handed voiceover he delivers is enough to make any mortal soul want to join the dark side. 
However, the game hits a home run in many other areas. Clearly, during its long development, the game took a number of guises, one of which was an open-world structure, and this shines through in the final product. There's a sense of place to Bright Falls that many other games lack. Even though the game features a closed-off set uh, closed off set piece areas everywhere still feels connected to a place you've just been, which is highlighted by a couple of tracking shots at the start to show the entire landscape in which you can trace your route through many of the major locations you will visit throughout the game. The game is stunning to look at, especially on a PC, beautiful light reflections and an incredible sense of light and dark, which is usually very hard to pull off. I've always enjoyed the basic gameplay mechanics. There is a great tension to burning off the darkness with your torch in anticipation of emptying a clip of bullets into their skull and watching them vaporise in a shower of sparks. There are many areas where the management of flares to keep hordes at bay and flashbangs to clear a vital path you head for that beam of light in the distance, knowing it's your only chance of survival. Also, some great set pieces like the Rock Festival, where you're in control of the firework display, driving down the side of a mountain with your headlights on full beam, mowing down the evil hordes, or burning the darkness off inanimate objects being thrown at you in, in the psychiatrist's asylum. The episodic structure really suited the game and once again hinted at a different direction that the product could have taken, i.e. being released as a separate individual chunks of DLC over a period of time. But if the DLC was anything to go by, it was a wise move to keep it as a whole instead of piecemeal parts, as I found the majority of the DLC fairly forgettable. Only the writer piqued my interest due to its wrapping up a lot of the, uh, of the end game confusion and setting the story up nicely for a potential sequel. As for American Nightmare, I found its central theme of replaying the same memories a conveniently excuse to use the same environments three times over to prolong the length of the content. Overall, Alan Wake is a great game to play, but one that also lacked much subtlety in many key areas. So there you go. Even when he's not on the show, Tony does a better job of summing up the game than we did. <laughs> Rounding up this week, you can, of course, play along with Kane and Rince Volume 2. We've got Shenmue 2 coming up next week. Following that, Tony's return with The Walking Dead Season one, naturally. It's the only season there's been so far of the video game. Spec Ops The Line, A Crisis and Crisis 2, Bioshock, Streets of Rage Trilogy, Starcraft 2, Wings of Liberty, I Am Alive, Bioshock 2, The Animal Crossing series, Grand Theft Auto 4, and the episodes from Liberty, Liberty City, Dark Souls, Metro 2033, and XCOM Enemy Unknown, and that lot should keep you busy. Uh, we're also going to in the start of what will be an occasional series, uh, put something else in your iTunes inbox or however you choose. Uh, if you do subscribe, you will receive a bonus podcast this week, which is um, me in conversation with Jim Crawford, who is only the dude behind the brilliant and quite crazy Frog Fractions. Uh, you should check that game out. It's a flash game on your browser. Point it to H ttp colon slash slash twinbeardstudios.com slash frog hyphen fractions if you haven't heard uh giant bomb talking about it uh, you may have heard it mentioned on joypod or midnight resistance or our christmas special mashup or any number of other places um it's uh, it's quite a thing the only hint i would give you because it's a game you don't want to spoil is when the controls mention WASD don't forget the S <laughs> I think that's right anyway uh, I'm sure that uh, the interview with Jim will be worth listening to because uh, I've also checked out a lot of his other games and um, he's got to be an interesting dude let's put it that way uh, the full upcoming schedule can now be found thanks to Jay here on the blog at canerince.com 
you can take a look at our quince 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 is a, a fruit you can make jam out of it you can take a look at our quick rinse videos via the blog or on the cane and rinse youtube channel more subscribers every day you can find us on twitter at cane and rinse facebook.com slash cane and rinse uh you should download the cane and rinse periodical shouldn't you jay Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because uh, Jay puts a crazy amount of work into what is effectively the best magazine He, put, he puts much more work it's... into the magazine than he does in enthusiasm for advertising it. Believe me, it's excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, interactive electronic magazine, iBook format or PDF, although it's not interactive if it's PDF, unless you count scrolling up and down and flicking between pages as interactive. Well, the links work. That's about as interactive okay. as it gets. The links work, yes. Uh, but on uh, an iOS device, uh, you can listen to the music, you can hear uh, podcasts, watch videos and so on. It quite literally um, comes alive. <laughs> quite literally doesn't come alive. <laughs> Uh, but quite metaphorically, it does come alive in your hands. Uh, as ever, of course, we are extremely grateful for your support for Cana Rinse via subscribing to us on iTunes and also reviews and ratings on that service. Help us indeed. Uh, and as ever, best of all, we'd love you to join the conversation on the community forum, canarinse.com slash forum. Just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank... Jay Taylor and Carl Moon. This has been Alan Wake. Here's some music and we'll see you next time. Safer from the lynch and roam. Who's that 
Three.